what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about race. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief history of race and where that term originated. The term race was used infrequently prior to the 1500s, and when it was used, it was used to identify a group of people who were related or had a group connection like race of saints or a race of bishops. The long history of separating themselves from others in treating foreigners, such as the Irish, as alien or quote-unquote others. But before the 1600s, there was really no evidence that the English referred to themselves as being white people. This concept did not occur until around 1613, when the English society first encountered and contrasted themselves against the East Indians. But even then, there was not a large body of people who considered themselves white as defined today. From about the 1550s to 1600, white was exclusively used to describe elite English women because the whiteness of skin was a sign that they were persons of a high social class. People who stayed indoors and didn't get a tan uh, from the sun due to labor. Now, the term white did not refer to elite English men because the idea that men did not leave their homes to work could signal that they were lazy or sickly. European colonists' use of the word white to refer to people who looked like themselves grew to become entangled with the word race and slave in the American colonies in the mid-1660s. Now, these elites created races to separate themselves from the quote-unquote savage Indians and the quote-unquote subhuman Africans from themselves as white men. Now, this social invention succeeded in uniting the white colonists, enabling them to dispossess and marginalize Native people and enslave African-descended people for generations. By the late 1600s, there were more demands for land and labor. Indentured servitude lost its appeal because it became less profitable to use servants of European descent. Under that system, young European men and women worked for masters to pay off a debt for their transportation, which lasted period of about four to seven years, uh, they were paid no wages, received only minimal upkeep, and often were treated brutally. Indentured servitude wasn't enough, and white settlers began to turn to slavery as the primary source of forced labor in many of the colonies. African people were seen as more desirable slaves because they brought advanced farming skills, carpentry, and bricklaying skills, as well as metal and leatherworking skills. They were also immune to a lot of European diseases, which caused Indians to sicken and die. And most importantly, Africans had nowhere to run, unlike the Indians who could escape from slavery into their own familiar territory. At first, labor status was not permanent nor solely connected to race. A significant turning point came in 1662 when Virginia enacted a law of hereditary slavery, which meant the status of the mother determined the status of the child. Also, coalitions of poor white people rebelled against the wealthy because they wanted to acquire land reserved for Virginia's indigenous people. And elite colonists determined that they needed to amass more native lands for their continued expansion and distinguish, distinguishing peoples of race afforded them this opportunity. Um, it helped further the gap between indigenous people and poor white Europeans. Now, by the mid-1700s, new laws and societal norms linked Africans to perpetual labor, and the American colonies made formal social distinctions among its people based on appearance, place of origin, and heredity, framing Africans and indigenous people of subordinate rank uh, by their physical appearance. 
Laws were put into place to control the interaction between lower class whites and African laborers and further divide the social and legal connections of the two groups. The laws created a hierarchy based on race. It's interesting to note that the social position of Africans and their descendants for the first 60 to 70 years of colonial history in the United States didn't seem to have any hints of inequality or inferiority. Between the 1660 and 1690, leaders of the Virginia colonies wanted to further divide Africans from themselves and also wanted to prevent freed Africans from bonding and fighting alongside poor whites. So they conscripted poor white people um, never had any interest in common into a category of free men and made resources available to them. African-Americans and Africans, uh, mulattoes, American Indians, regardless of the cultural similarities or differences, were forced into categories separate from whites. By 1723, even free African-Americans, descendants of several generations then of free people, were prohibited from voting and exercising uh, their civil rights. Colonial leaders thus began using those physical differences among the population to continue to structure a society based on inequality. And that's how it all got started. Wow. I, wow, that just, it boggles me because it, it's, it really just started with one person being like, hey, your skin color is different. Um, <laughs> and it's, and then it just kind of spiraled from there and to the world we really have today. Um, that's intense. I, um, and for my part of it, I did a little bit more research into the human genetics uh, side of race. I was really interested to see kind of what, <clears throat> what that, you know, <clears throat> what science has to say. Um, I came across an article from the Harvard School of Medicine. It was titled, How Science and Genetics Are Reshaping the Race Debate of the 21st Century. And I was immediately hooked. Um, and in 22, <clears throat> excuse me, and in 2003, scientists completed the Human Genome Project. Um, it was making, this made it fin finally possible to examine human ancestry with genetics. Scientists have since tackled topics such as human mi migrations out of Africa and all around the world. And it's not just scientists who are really excited about human genetics. Widely affordable at-home ancestry kits are now readily available from companies like 23andMe, Family Tree DNA, and Ancestry. For around $99, a customer can receive an, an analysis from 23andMe indicating what they are. And for instance, 18% Native American, 65% European, 6% African. The soaring popularity of ancestry testing has led to a widespread perception that we can use these tests to dissect, delineate, and define our ancestral compositions. Indeed, social media is teeming with blog posts and even live streams um, from excited customers that are busting at the seams to broadcast their test results with their reactions. Ancestry test kits are the new et item, and their success is the tacit admission of our belief that our DNA can sort us into categories like the quote unquote five races, which is defined as African, European, Asian, Oceania, and Native American. Now, according to this particular view, variations between races is large and thus each race is separate category. Additionally, individual races are thought to have been relatively uniform, that have relatively uniform genetic identity. But in actuality, generic variation in humans looks very different. 
Human populations do roughly cluster in the same geographical regions. However, variation between different regions is very small, thus blurring the lines between populations. Furthermore, variation within a single region is large and there is no uniform identity. Ultimately, quote unquote race cannot be biologically defined due to generic variations among humans, individuals, and populations. New findings in genetics are tearing down this old idea about race. Um, estimating our ancestral composition down to a point zero point, sorry, 0.1% seems to suggest that there are exact categorical uh, div divisions between human populations, but reality is far less simple. Compared to the genetic gener general public's enthusiasm for ancestry testing, scientists have had a very different reaction. It's more of a lukewarm reaction. Um, research indicates the concept of the five races, thus to an extent describe the way human population um, are among the continents, but the lines between races are much more blurred than ancestry testing companies would have us believe. A landmark 2002 study by the Stanford scientists examined the, and, uh, the question of at the distribution across seven major geographical regions of 4,000 alleles. Alleles are the different flavors of a gene, if you will. Um, for instance, all humans have the same genes um, that code for hair but a different alleles are why hair, hairs come in all types of colors and textures. In the Stanford study, over 92% of alleles were found in two or more regions, and almost half of the alleles studied were present in seven major geographical regions. The observations that the vast majority of alleles were shared over multiple, uh, sorry, over multiple regions, or even throughout the entire world, points to the fundamental similarity of all people around the world, an idea that has been supported by many other studies. Ultimately, there isn't so much ambiguity between the races and so much variation within them that two people of European descent may have more genetically similar to, Asia, to an Asian person than they have to each other. Isn't that crazy? Totally crazy, yeah. <laughs> I was honestly um, very surprised to learn that genetically speaking, we don't really have these variations that seem to play like uh, socially. Um, right. So genetically, really, there is no race. <laughs> There's just right. people live, live in other places. You know, it's more geographical. Mm -hmm. Race. Really, right. um, yeah, it's more geographical than it is like genetic. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. <laughs> And that totally makes sense because, I mean, if you really think about it, the origin of all this was really greed. It was more of like, you know, your skin is different than mine and you have something I want. So I'm going to start mm -hmm. telling everybody that you're inferior to me to get what you, to get what I want. And because they were wealthier and had more resources, they were able to get that propaganda across. And it, the sad thing is it's still effective, you know, it's so sad. Right, right. It is so sad. I really hope this sheds a little bit more light on, on the race topic. Um, but I'd love to hear from our audience. And if you have anything that you'd like to add to this conversation, please let us know. Um, we can find us on Instagram at HistoryishPod. We'd love to see you there. Bye. Bye.